Well, how y'all doing? Man, it's so good to see so many beautiful faces in here and some not so beautiful ones, but that's okay too. Jesus loves you and your mom, I'm sure. No, your mom loves you. Jesus, well, Jesus loves your mom too. That was unclear and I wanted to clarify that. You're, everyone's loved. That's what I'm trying to say. All right, the end. Was that an awkward beginning? I think it was. Anyway. Hey, so um, we're, we're trying out this new thing. Uh, we are live streaming these now. So that awkward moment is on the internet forever. And you can go back and relive it if you want. You're just like, hmm, that was good. The way that he fumbled that intro. I'm really good at that. Anyway. Um, hey, so uh, thank you all for coming out. And thank you all for wearing your masks. That's like a huge deal. Um, because we do unto others as we would have them do unto us, right? Like, we're not wearing a mask because we're afraid of a virus. We're wearing a mask because we love our neighbor. And that's, that's why we have something on our face. And uh, let me tell you, it's really awkward, like, preaching. Because I'm one of those dudes, like, I, I love, like, feedback from the crowd. You know what I mean? Like, I'm one of those. Like, you put me in, like, one of those old school Southern Baptist kind of churches where all like, Amen, brother, from the back. I'm down. Like, I'm so down for that. But, like, when you have a mask on, so much of that, like, nonverbal communication is just gone. So I just have blank stares, like, the whole time. It's like, is this good? Is it bad? Are you going to throw rocks? Like, what's going to happen here? And so uh, it makes it more fun for me. Anyway, um, but yeah, we love you guys. And uh, we're so, so glad that you decided to join us tonight. And then if you logged in on the live stream, uh, thanks for doing that as well. And um, yeah, if it's terrible, let us know. You know, smash that uh, like button and hit subscribe. (laughs) Ring the bell for notifications. So, yeah. I've become everything I hate. I'm a YouTuber now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I don't know if you'll notice this, but I'm wearing the same shirt as Jonathan Garza. You, you notice that? It's just another step in me becoming Jonathan. That's, that's what's going to happen. Um, but, hey, so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Uh, we're going back to the, the gospel according to St. Matthew. If we want to go all high church with it. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen or, you know, you can just Google it and it'll be there. Uh, Matthew 22 verses 1 through 14. We are continuing our series on the parables. And uh, that's going to go for this whole semester. So buckle up. It's going to be a lot of fun stories, right? We're all excited. Um, so this is uh, a parable. When we get to the end, you're going to be like, huh, that was a thing. That was the thing that we read. And then we're going to break down uh, all about it, and it'll be fine. You'll understand it. And then Jesus will move, and it'll be great. So uh, if you're there, uh, here we go. This is starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. There is no chill, huh? Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and 
and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, my friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. See? It's a thing we read, right? What a weird ending. Um, But we're going to talk about this, right? And um, before we dive in, let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Uh, Jesus, I ask that you would just move amongst us. Holy Spirit, we give you the right and the authority to speak to our minds and hearts. Lord, change what needs to be changed. Lord, we love you. And you're so kind and so good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so really, really important thing in, in understanding the Bible is this thing called context. Have you heard of it? Right? Um, there is uh, a saying in, in biblical interpretation called context is king. Right? So context, it's a very important thing. And I want to help you understand what context is by telling you a story. Okay? Um, so some of you may know this. If you're, if you're new here, you may not know this. But my wife and I and our whole family, we lived overseas for a couple of years before we moved to San Angelo. And we lived in this country called the Czech Republic. Okay? And it's this kind of smaller country that you've probably maybe heard of when it was called Czechoslovakia. You know, it's like by Germany, but you might think it's by Russia. It's not by Russia. It's by Germany. Um, and that's been bad for them in their history. But anyway... Um, So when we were in the Czech Republic, we were in a different cultural context, right? And um, so before we moved to to the Czech Republic, we lived in Huntsville, Texas, which is right down the road from this town called Fairfield that has this massive peach orchard, okay? Like huge. And like all the time, they would just like have one of their like trucks – open the back and just sell, like sell peaches out the back. It's like a giant basket of peaches was like a nickel. It was amazing. And they were the best peaches ever. They were so good, right? And so we ate them all the time. That was like kind of a family thing. We just go buy a bucket of peaches and eat them until we're sick. And we're like, we regret nothing, you know? And, and it was great. Well, when we get to the Czech Republic, right, we go to the grocery store, and we don't know where anything is because everything's in a language we don't understand, right? And so if you can imagine this, like my wife and I, and at the time just four of our kids, like everyone's uncomfortable, and like we're running into things, and and then we're like, oh, hey, I found the peaches, babe. Here are the peaches, right? Like, oh, good. We'll get some, okay? Another thing that we kind of found out was, well, another thing that my wife and I did is is uh, we like to use the word peachy. Have you ever, like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm peachy. You know, we love saying that. It's like, oh, I'm peachy, right? What we came to find out after months, okay, months of living there, is that the word peach in Czech has a completely different meaning. If you can think of a combination of the F word and any other bad word, <laughs> meld them together, that's what peach means in Czech. So picture this, a family of six walking through a grocery store, dropping F-bombs like crazy, right? Even the kids, you know, like, yay, peaches, yay, right? And the way the language works is that when you add an E sound at the end, you're making it plural, 
right? You're, you're making plural. So it's like, how are you doing? Peachy. What? You're doing what? It was bad, right? So context really matters, right? It completely changes the meaning of that word. So now you know how to say the most profane word in, in the Czech language. You're welcome. You're welcome. So anyway, if you meet somebody from the Czech Republic, don't say that, please. I mean, literally, it's like one of those, if you say it in a bar, somebody's going to smash a bottle and go after you. It's like that level bad, right? So context is really important, okay? And we learn that culturally, but that's also true in the Bible, right? Because the Bible was written in a cultural context, in a historical context. Does that make sense? Everybody jiving, right? Okay. So to understand the parables, we have to look at them in context, Right? We have to look at them in context of Jesus' culture, in context of the situation he was speaking in, and in the context of the overarching narrative of the Bible. Does that make sense? And so a lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight is going to be that context. Because if you take this parable at face value, you can have some really weird ideas about God. Right? Yo, did he just throw somebody out of... Like, did he just throw somebody in hell for wearing the wrong clothes? Did that just happen there? Maybe. Because I don't know the context. Right? Or you can read this like one of the great thinkers of, in church history. He read this and came away with, it's okay to stab people in the name of Jesus. Because one of the old translations says, compel the, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. So this dude, not reading the context, looks at that and says, oh, that means stab them if they don't. Compel them, right? Make them do it. Context is really important. And it's really easy to twist the word of God to mean what you want it to mean if you take it out of context. Okay? So I'm going to give you the context of this. So this happens after Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Okay? So if you can frame it in your head, Matthew 21, 22, and 23 is all like one big thing. Right? And that all happens like within the span of like 48 hours. Okay? Matthew 21, like, is the triumphal entry. Y'all know that story, right? Jesus is like riding on a donkey and, and people are like throwing palm branches and stuff. And like, Hosanna, that's awesome. And Jesus is like, this ain't gonna last, you know? And then later in Matthew 21, like, he shows up at the temple and he walks in there and he sees the temple's filled with like people that are making money off of God. Right? The hucksters and the money changers and stuff. And what does he do? You'll know that story. Right? He clears the temple. Right? So it says in in another gospel that he sat and made a whip of three cords. Do you know how long it would take to braid your own whip? I mean, we think like sometimes in in my head it's like Jesus walks in and he's like, oh no, this ain't happening. And starts flipping tables, you know? No, no, no. He was like, I'm going to be back. And he comes back hours later with a whip and he starts lighting people up. Right? Remember the, did y'all ever do the WWJD bracelets? Did y'all ever do those? The, what would Jesus do? I love those bracelets because I was always like flipping tables and whipping people isn't out of the question. Don't try me. Right? So Jesus like, he clears the temple, Right? So he comes in, everybody's celebrating. He's like, yeah, you're the son of David. He's like, yeah, I am. That's pretty cool, but you're going to hate me in a week, right? And then, and then he like comes in and he like whips people, clears the outer court of the temple. And see, the thing we have to remember here is kind of 
Something that we wouldn't know unless we were like a, you know, first century, like Jew, right? Is it, is it the outer court of the temple was meant for the Gentiles? You catch that? So people that weren't Jewish, but wanted to worship the one true God would worship in the outer court. But there was no more room in the outer court because it was full of people that were turning a profit off of the worship of God. So Jesus is obviously really mad about that. So he goes in and he clears it out, right? And people are like falling over themselves to get away from him. And then he, uh, he leaves, right? He goes back to, he's staying in a suburb, essentially he's staying in Bethany. You know, that's like Christoval, you know? He's just like down the road. So on the way out, he like curses this fig tree, right? Because it doesn't have any figs on it. And then the next day they're coming back and they're like, hey, Jesus, you cursed that fig tree and it's dead. He's like, yeah, I know, right? And then they go back to the temple, And that's where we land closer to the story, right? So Jesus comes back to the temple after, like, killing fig trees, which isn't very green. Doesn't he know we're supposed to be, like, team trees and planting them? I don't know, right? And then, so he shows up at the temple, and then, like, the chief priest and the elders show up. And they approach him, and they're like, Jesus, who the heck do you think you are? Who do you think you are to do all this? Right? He knows who he is. Okay? So this is where this really exchange, this really like back and forth exchange happens. Okay? And in chapter 21 of Matthew, is Jesus then, you know, they're like, Jesus, who do you think you are? By whose authority do you do this? And he says, I'll answer that if you answer my question. By whose authority did John do the things he did? John the Baptist, his cousin, right? And they're like, Oh, man, if we say God's authority, then he'll call us out for not obeying what John said. But if we, if we say John did it by his own authority, the people are going to come after us because they think he's a prophet. And so they, they do like, oh, I, we don't know. And then Jesus is like, huh, well, then I'm not going to answer your question. And then he fires off three parables. Right? The first parable that he fires off is one about two brothers. Right? Father goes to brothers and he says like, uh, the father says, hey, will you do this thing for me? One says, no, I won't, but then does it anyway. And the other one says, yes, I will, but then doesn't do it, right? And he's like, who was, who was the real son here? And the Pharisees and scribes and elders are all like, the, the dude that said no, but went ahead and did it. And Jesus is like, yeah, interesting, right? And he's being really pointed with them, right? And you can almost see the tension coming off the page here, Right? And then he tells another parable, the parable of the tenants, right? See, you're getting like a three-for-one deal here. You're welcome. You're welcome. Extra Bible. This is bonus Bible. Um, but he, uh, he tells the parable of the tenants, right? And he tells a story about this dude that has some land, and he rents it out to some people to, to grow a vineyard, right? And then at harvest time, he sends some people to go and collect his portion, his cut, because it's his land. And they like kill them or torture them or beat them or throw them out. And then he's like, well, they're not going to listen to my servants. They'll listen to my son. So he sends his son, right, to go and collect what is due him. And they kill him. And then he looks at the, the, chief, the, the priests and the elders and he says, what should the king of that land do with those tenants? And they're like, kill him. They... That he, should, he should kill all of them, destroy them, because they're being horrible people. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, he should. They deserve it, don't they? And in that moment, 
the Pharisees know that he's talking about them. And it says in the Bible that he starts plotting. They, they start plotting to kill him. Like, how can we get this guy back? Right? And then this is the last of those three parables that he tells. The parable of the wedding feast. Do you feel like you have a better understanding of what's going on? So we're walking into the scene in the middle of this moment where he just got them with their own words. Right? He just nailed them. And so now they're mad. So then he tells this parable about a wedding feast. It's really important for us to have this background. Because just like the word peach in a different context can get you stabbed. And in another context, it can get you happy with a a piece of fruit. If we mistreat the Bible, it can harm us. If we pull this out of context, it can do horrible things. Chief among them is when we read this parable with ourselves in the middle of the story. How many of us have done that? Have read the Bible looking for something about us? But I, I got some really bad news for you. The Bible is about one thing. Jesus. You're not in it. I'm, I'm really sorry. I mean, you're really cool, but you're just not Jesus cool. So Jesus is speaking in these parables because he's explaining things about himself and about his kingdom. He's not trying to explain things to make you fit into his story. He's explaining things so you understand where he fits in his story. Does that make sense? Okay. And... While these truths are true, while there are things that we can learn, they were written for us, but not to us. Right? And that's a big difference. Because if the parable is written to you, then you can take more liberty with it. But if it's written for you, then you have to take it in the context that it's in, and you have to take your time with it. Does that make sense? And, And this is... Important because, like, I can listen to Pam and Jonathan talk about music. They both have degrees in music, they're brilliant musicians, and I can still learn through the conversation they're having, even though they're not talking to me. And so, that's the attitude we need to take with these parables. Does that make sense? And I told you it would be a lot of boring context up front, and I'm really sorry, but we have to lay the groundwork properly. Okay? Y'all still with me or y'all ready for a nap? Okay. So, if we are reading this thing and we're looking for a message about us, we're going to come with some goofy views on God, right? We're going to come away thinking it's okay to push people around in the name of God. We're going to come away thinking that Jesus is really capricious and throwing people out because of their clothing. And, you know, some of us is like, that's fine. I'll wear what I wear. You know, like every small town country kid is like, I hope Jesus likes belt buckles and Hollister, you know. (laughs) But no, Jesus isn't talking to us. He's talking to the elders and the chief priest, right? He's talking to these religious people that have done religion their whole life. Religion is their business. They knew all the proper answers. They knew all the prayers to pray. That's who he's talking to. 
And so if you've grown up in church and you're one of those Christians from the cradle, this parable should really make you pause. This parable should make you perk up and pay attention. If you're here and you're with us and you don't, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's completely cool. We want you to be here. Please don't leave. But this parable should seem really less scary to you. And we'll get into why. Right? So first thing, Jesus is, it says, Jesus said another parable to them. He tells them another parable to them. So this parable is Jesus speaking to those in charge. Right? And the parable is about a wedding feast. So this wedding feast, right, is a king throwing a wedding for his son. I think this is pretty obvious, right? Who's the king? God. Who's the son? Jesus. Like, it's very clear there. Jesus is not being subtle by any means here. Okay? But it begs the question, who are the ones that were initially invited? Who are the ones that the king said, hey, message the people I've already invited and tell them to come? Well, it's those that practice religious religion. It was the gatekeepers of those who allowed others to be in the kingdom of God and who allowed others to be out of it. Does that make sense? So Jesus, in the back of his mind, I'm sure he was thinking of the temple courts that were full of animals being sold and money-changing tables and had no room for people that wanted to get close to God. Those were the people he was thinking of. Those were the people that were initially invited And their response is really telling. They all had better things to do. Did you catch that when we first read through it? All of them had something better to do. Right? Like, I got my business, I got my farm, whatever. They did not seem to want to be reminded that they lived under the authority of a king. Because when somebody came to tell them, hey, the king is telling you to come, what did they do? They responded with violence and anger. Have you ever been reminded that you live under the authority of God? Whether it's from somebody in your life, a friend, family member, or maybe just that really annoying voice of your conscience that won't go away when you do something wrong and you know it. And you got angry? Or how about, how about those street preachers? They get up there with those signs. And they call sin for what it is. And maybe they don't use the language that we would use. Or maybe they don't treat people how we would treat people. But they're still saying things that are true. Do you get mad at them? Are you one of those that refuses the invitation of the king? See, each person seemed more concerned about themselves than for the wedding of the king. And maybe this concept's a little bit harder for us to understand because we live in a republic and we're all very democratic and western and, you know, post-enlightenment. And that's just how we think. But the majority of humanity has been under the rule of an authority. And what they say goes. And how you live is for the benefit of the crown, not yourself. But these people refuse to acknowledge that. They were invited to a royal wedding. Do y'all remember when that royal wedding thing happened? Like, gosh, a couple years ago? 
Prince Harry, is he the one that got married? I don't know. My wife watched it. She's like, you want to watch? I'm like, no. We fought a war in 1776, so I didn't have to. Thank you very much. I ain't going to watch no limey get married. Get out of Boston, lobster backs. You know what I'm saying? But could you imagine being invited to that royal wedding? What an honor, right? All the pomp, all the circumstance, all the fancy people. But then you're like, nah, I got to go sort my sock drawer. You know what I mean? Jeez, Queen Elizabeth, I would go. I really would. But I haven't balanced my checkbook this week. You know, like. This, that's what their response was. Isn't that crazy? And then the king responds with calling them unworthy. Unworthy. That seems kind of harsh. But if you notice, what they've done is they've given their lives to things that are smaller than the kingdom. They've given their lives to things that are smaller than the kingdom. Now, this isn't veiled at all, right? That's pretty, pretty easy for you to catch, pretty easy for you to understand. We have a king. His name is Jesus. His kingdom is bigger than anything before. And if, if you want to have a life that's meaningful, live for his kingdom. Because your life can only be as big as what you're living for. And if there's a kingdom out there that's bigger than the universe, your life is going to have so much depth. It's going to be deeper and broader than you could ever imagine. It reminds me of the saying of one of my favorite saints. His name is uh, St. Francis Xavier. And he said, give up your small ambitions and come with me to save the world. That's what they were invited to. Nah, Jesus, I got to go iron my pants. And so he sends people into the streets. The king just goes, you know what? Anybody. Invite anybody. Go find somebody and bring them in. And Jesus is using this statement as an affront to those that grew up in religion and thought they had all the religious power and had everything figured out. He's saying, no, the people that you don't think are good enough are going to be in here and you won't. Notice how he invited these people in. And it says in the Bible, it says that he invited in both the good and the bad. Did you you catch that line? Isn't that crazy? The good and the bad. You see, the religious spirit, the religious attitude kept people out of God's kingdom. And Jesus is throwing open the floodgates. He's he's saying, there's going to be people in here that will make you uncomfortable. The social outsider, that pariah, that other, that person that votes Democrat. They're going to be in the kingdom too. So they went out and they brought in both the evil and the good. Have you ever walked into a church? Or maybe attended some random campus ministry, get together with a lame guy that talked a lot, and thought, I shouldn't be here. 
Have you ever felt that? I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. Have you ever felt that? I know I have. I didn't grow up in church. And I met Jesus through a ministry that's kind of like Chi Alpha. It's called Young Life. And I remember showing up to that Young Life meeting and just hugging the wall. I was like, can I turn in the shade of brick? (laughs) Right? Because I didn't have friends in high school. And Young Life was made up of all the cool popular kids. Somebody invited me to be a part of that. I was super uncomfortable. I felt like I didn't belong. So if you feel that way, you're in good company. Because Jesus says these are the people he specifically have sought out. Do you see that? Go into the highways and byways. Go to the streets. Go to the corners. Go to the town square. And whoever will come, bring them to my wedding. The oxen, the fattened calf, they're butchered. The party's waiting. All you got to do is come. Jesus has sent you a personal invitation to be a part of his kingdom. It's an invitation that has been refused by others, but you can accept if you want. And he's just waiting for you. Everything is ready. All you have to do is show up. Okay, and now we get to the really confusing and mildly disturbing part. The king's walking around the wedding, full of people that weren't worthy and probably didn't really belong there, but they're there. Because the people that he originally invited didn't want to be there. They thought too highly of themselves. They were living for their small kingdoms, and he's wanting people that will live for his kingdom. Right? And he invites all these people in, and he walks around and he sees one dude not wearing clothes. Not wearing the right clothes. Weird. He's like, throw them out. Seems a little harsh, right? That's not like the gentle Jesus, meek and mild kind of thing, right? But here's a little bit of context, right? More historical context. In those days, I don't know if this has ever occurred to you, but in those days, most people had maybe one set of clothes. Maybe one, right? If you were wealthy, you had two or three. But you didn't, like, have church clothes, you know? You didn't have, like, your fancy clothes that you'd wear, like, once every now and again when you had a wedding or something. You just had that set of clothes that maybe smelled bad because you're a fisherman or or whatever, right? Maybe they're covered in dirt because your job is to go dig ditches somewhere. And so it was incumbent upon the host of the wedding party to clothe other people improper attire. Does that make sense? So like you'd show up in your clothes and they'd put a robe on you that looked really fancy. Isn't that interesting? So the host was making sure that no one would be shamed because their clothes were shabby. He was bestowing honor upon every single person that came in. By giving them a new set of clothes. So in this light, the guy that's wearing the wrong clothes can be interpreted as two different ways, right? One way to interpret them is he has terrible clothes, but he thinks that they're better than they are. Right? We call that hypocrisy. 
We call that arrogance. Some of us want to stride into Jesus' wedding wearing the clothes that we have, wearing the clothes that we brought, because our small kingdom and our accomplishments are good enough. Jesus, I've been to church every Sunday. Jesus, I went to that prayer meeting that one time. Jesus, I tithed $5 last month. Let me into your wedding. Or the other way to interpret is that this person thought that his clothes were better than what was being offered to him by the king. Which one's worse? I've gone back and forth. I don't know which one is. I don't know if Jesus was thinking of this, but I I tend to think he was. If you flip your Bible to Isaiah chapter 61, you look at verse 10 and 11. It says this, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I don't think that's in there on accident. I think Jesus was being very specific. Because he knew who he was talking to. He was talking to the Bible experts. He wanted them to think of that. So if you've come in here, if you have come in here and feel like you don't belong, if you've come to Chi Alpha or maybe come to small group or been hanging out with us and just don't feel like you belong in one of these religious groups, know that you do because Jesus will give you his clothes. He will robe you in his righteousness. Don't you see the beauty in that? You will never be good enough. You will never be good enough. But he will make you good. There's no amount of fixing yourself that you can do before you walk through the doors of a church that will make you worthy to be at the wedding feast of the king's son. But... When you walk through that door, he will give you the robe that makes you worthy. Do you see that? Look at how good our king is. Look at how amazing Jesus is. Is that he's saying, come, I don't care who you are, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Get in here and I will make you worthy. I will make it so that anything that would make you ashamed is covered by me. I've paid the price. I've I've done it. I've covered it. I gave it to you. Thank you, God. So what is the point that Jesus is trying to make? We give our lives to small and worthy things. We build our lives around those things. He's also telling us that everyone is welcome in the kingdom. If I have the band, go ahead and come back up. And he's also saying this, and this is really important, that you are not, nor can you make yourself good enough for his wedding feast. 
but he will clothe you with his clothing and make you fit. So I suspect that there's probably two types of people in this room. There's some of us that may have grown up in church, maybe done this religion thing for a while. And if you're one of those, I want you to do some introspection. I want you, while Pam and Jonathan are playing, to make your seat an altar. I want you to do something really embarrassing. I want you to stand up, turn around, kneel in your chair. You don't kneel on the ground, put your elbows in that chair, make it an altar. Bow down before God and say, Lord, am I one of those wearing my own clothes at your wedding? Because I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to be like that. And then the other group is a group that doesn't feel worthy. Maybe you're focused on maybe you're focused on making yourself right. Maybe maybe you think you've done too many wrong things. But he invited in the good and the bad. And he made them all worthy by clothing them with his righteousness. Do you see that? So I want to extend you the opportunity to accept the invitation. You don't have to get right. You don't. You just get in and he makes you right. So I I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of us. And I think there's some of you that are feeling what God is speaking. You don't have to strive to correct yourself. You don't have to clean your life up before you come into a place to get your life cleaned up. That's not how this works. I don't wash my car before I go to a car wash. I don't really ever wash my car anyway. But um, Jesus is going into the highways and byways. He has sent people to you. You have a small group leader here, somebody that invited you. That's that person that Jesus sent to your life to bring you into that wedding. I want you to accept. Don't worry about the rest. He's already taken care of it. So if you're in that group, If you're in that other group, grab the person that brought you, and you'll pray together. Right? Social distance if you feel the need to. Right? There's like space along the sides here that you can sit and pray together if that's what you need to do. But just take a moment. Take a moment and just accept him. He loves you and he's worth it.